Charles Hoskinson was one of the original creators of Ethereum and has moved on, of course, to create Cardano. Now, Cardano has been one of the most popular tokens in the crypto space and has been, of course, surrounded by the normal tribalism and controversy that we see in the space. I addressed this directly with Charles and we talked at length about why tribalism is such a problem and why we need to all come together for a common goal to push towards mainstream adoption. This is one of my favorite conversations that I have. Charles is absolutely brilliant and truly made me believe that we can come together and get this done. That's dope. So Charles, this is the first time that I've ever had to start an interview uh, with an apology. <laughs> but uh, on my show one time, David Hoffman came on and called uh, Cardano a scam, which I sort of uh, shrugged off and continued on, but uh, it obviously went viral. And uh, to be clear, I do not feel that way. And <laughs> actually, I believe uh, it's massively damaging in this space that people call anyone a scam or a scammer when it's not the case. So I do apologize that, that that happened, and I obviously don't believe in censoring people. But uh, I'm curious why you think in this space there is that level of outright tribalism, competition, general hate. It's my feeling that we're small enough that everybody should be working together. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting space. It's almost like being in politics. You know, we focus so much on technology and science and we build and we've built this incredible community. There's three and a half million people in the Cardano ecosystem now. And we had a community event uh, the day we came here, 1,200 people showed up for it. Some people came from Australia and Singapore and the level of passion and enthusiasm was just overwhelming. So I think it works probably on both sides that if you, you can't have one side without the other. So if you have a lot of people that really love what you do and what you build and, and the things you think about, you'll have a lot of people for some reason, they go beyond dislike and they go into active hate or name calling or accusations and it's bizarre. And I always ask, well, what is a scam? You know, we wrote 140 papers. We've been doing this for as an ecosystem for over six years. We've delivered Byron and Shelley and Alonzo. And you might disagree with what we do. You might think what we do is not commercializable or it's the wrong strategy. But where exactly is the scam? Explain that to me. They never do. They never can, uh, at least in a reasonable way. Uh, you know, and, and there's some tribalism around doctrine. Like there's the proof of work versus proof of stake. Um, there's uh, questions about distribution, there's questions about use and utility, uh, and there's just some people that are radically misinformed and they, and they take a, a really harsh step forward and they use language that you'd never use in a commercial context. The CEO of Microsoft doesn't say, oh, Tim Cook is a criminal. It doesn't happen this way. You know, they, they of course say, oh, well, you know, the iPhone is not very good or this or that, or, and that's co commercial puffery, but to go beyond that and say someone is a criminal or is this dishonest, Meanwhile, you have the VC distributions. Meanwhile, you have the collapse of Terra. Meanwhile, you have all these things that happen that are very much predatory to very innocent people. And this behavior is pervasive throughout the industry, but apparently that seems to be excused in many circles. But then when you go and write 140 research papers, you're the worst scammer in the entire world. So I don't understand it. I really don't. And we just live it, we deal with it. And you can't let it bother you. You have to move on. It, it's very hard not yeah. to let it bother you because obviously negativity just is amplified, I think, in the human mind. Do you ever experience that in person or is it really just uh, anonymous behind a screen trolling? I mean, some of the people obviously are not anonymous. 
Oh, I, I've seen it in person. I was at conferences years ago, and people would say, uh, "Sit at another table, you fucking scammer," and you know things like that. And I've had toilet paper thrown at me uh, when I was at the Bitcoin conference uh, last year in 2021. Um, you know, you see, certainly see it, but on the other hand, you see a lot of love too. You know, people give me gifts from all over the world. Uh, people have tattooed our logo on their body. So again, you, you get you get a mixed bag in these types of things. And maybe it's because the stakes are so high. Because the reality is, if crypto works, you're literally changing everything in the world. It's a deeply political system. You're changing voting and supply chains and how money works and ultimately fundamental concepts like your rights and your identity, these types of things. So I think that's worth getting passionate about. Sure. You know, it's not just an investment. It's not just a token and you know when moon. Literally, this is what you get to do as a human being as you move through the 21st century and, and what fundamental protections you have and where you don't have those things. So winners or losers matter a lot more than whether the iPhone wins or you know the Samsung Galaxy wins or these types of things. I mean, it's always been my take that we're going to live in a multi-chain world. There probably won't be one singular winner that does everything, especially if we're trying to scale to billions of people. Mm -hmm. So again, to me, it just maybe all of these chains succeeding and really solving interoperability would be yeah. uh, a, a move forward that would be huge for everybody. Uh, I mean, it's like, when do we ever have one of anything? One religion, one language, one culture, one country. It's like, it's never happened. You don't have one of anything. It's this concept of one chain to rule them all. You can't because there are design trade-offs. There's different people in control. There's different philosophies about control. There's different scale. Uh, and some things are very well suited of different monetary policies. So some, for example, like Bitcoin and Cardano, they have deflationary monetary policies, fixed price, uh, well, fixed uh, supply, excuse me. Uh, others, they have inflationary monetary policies, persistent linear inflation, um, demurrage in some cases. And so if, if you have different monetary policies, different designers, different design purposes, and they cover different demands, it's absurd to say that somehow, despite all of that, it's all going to just collapse down into one chain. Usually they say it's Bitcoin. That's the, you know, the Team Orange and everything else is a shitcoin. Uh, so no, it, it's got to be multi-chain. So what matters more is the connecting tissue, the standards for interoperability. So how do you move users and value and state and information between the chains? Because that, that is what's going to allow us to consumerize and get billions of users into the system. And it's also what's going to allow us to con eventually merge with, connect to the legacy banking system. They're upgrading everything. It's called open banking. You'll see standards like ISO 222 and so forth. So they're trying very hard to create a, a better communication infrastructure for the world banking system. Where's our ISO 222 for our industry? And it's, no, I'm sorry, the solution isn't go you know, buy Chainlink. I mean, it's a token. You can't have that. You can't have one team financially win if a standard is adopted. That's not how standards work. You need different technology. So I think that's where the industry needs to go. And unfortunately, the tribalism does tend to hurt that. It prevents people from talking to each other or creates unnecessarily latency. Uh, for some reason, I don't understand why Gemini hasn't listed ADA. I don't know. You know, uh, everybody else has. I think there's more than 200 exchanges. They listed, I think, Terra before. You know, they listed ADA. They've been always friendly to me. I talk to them. They list dog coins. I, I know. You know, <laughs> and and so maybe that's tribalism. There's somebody who's a Bitcoin maximalist or an F maximalist. Who knows? 
But just little stuff like that, it's like there, there's an open standard. It's obviously a decision as a business, but you know, there's the Cardano has a GraphQL API, REST API. We integrated Cardano Rosetta, excuse me, Rosetta, which is Coinbase uh, listing API. Uh, so very easy to deal with it, very easy to work with it, but it just doesn't happen. In other cases, companies are embracing us very strongly. For example, Ledger just announced uh, Ada on Ledger Live. You know, and uh, they actually did that completely with the Cardano community. They never talked to me. They went to Catalyst and they dealt with uh, everyday people in, in Cardano in a very decentralized way. So it's a, also a mixed bag. You know, some people are very collaborative and they work well. And others, it's just bizarre what decisions they make, who to embrace, who not to embrace, or what to do. And, and they really love uh, spiking the football. Anytime someone has any misery, they... They just get so happy about it and say, oh, yeah, that's it. We told you so and so forth. It's bizarre. I'm a huge football fan, and I always liken that to, you know, Leon Lett celebrating before he went into the uh, end zone, the guy knocking the ball out of his hand and uh, spiking the ball too early. Because inevitably, when you uh, do that touchdown dance, as you sort of just mentioned, right. it comes back around, and eventually it's going to be your project or your community that has yeah. some sort of... Uh, incident or failure. Yeah, you know, if you have an up day, there will be a down day. Um, you will get hacked at some point in some capacity. There's going to be a screwed up upgrade. Something will happen. It's software, and they're humans, and humans are fallible. Software can be broken. Now, there are things you can do to mitigate and manage risk and prevent them from becoming cascading, and there are things you can do to try to prevent risk. But at the end of the day, there's always going to be some risk, regardless of how much preparation that you do. So there's good fun. You know, every now and then you kind of rib people a bit. And, you know, spiking the ball usually is in that mindset. But then there's just downright malicious and mean things. Uh, for example, with the Lummis bill, uh, there were a lot of Bitcoin maximalists who reached out, like I think Jimmy Sung was one, but there were others uh, to uh, that office and said, oh, you need to make everything that's proof of stake a security and ban it. Why? why? Why would you devastate the industry like this? First off, half of all crypto value is in proof of stake systems now. You know, less than half is in proof of work systems. So what, you're just going to cleave off half the space and put it into a really weird regulatory space that no one knows how to comply with just because Team Orange can't compete fairly? Uh, this is bizarre when you see this type of behavior, but they're actively doing this. They're actively right. saying this and advocating this, and that's harmful for the industry as a whole, and it, it has to stop. Uh, you know, you, just because you can't win fair doesn't mean you get to go to the government and try to get them to win for you. That's the whole reason we created cryptocurrencies as an industry, because we were pretty tired of the banking industry doing that to us. We were pretty tired of too big to fail. We were pretty tired of regulatory arbitrage, of corruption and nepotism. And the fact that these, these same patterns are now being amplified and repeated in our own industry is pretty sad. Yeah, the underlying consensus mechanism has nothing to do with what's being built on top of it. And you can't do the, saying the framework makes something a security is yeah. absurd. It's an agnostic technology. Yeah. And maybe some people are creating securities on top of it. Exactly. And, but. Yeah, and they change too, like Ethereum's going from proof of work to proof of stake. So you carve out a legislative exemption for Ethereum. So that, does that mean regardless of what Ethereum does and what they change to, they're always a commodity? Does that make any sense? It's like, what if they decide that the Vitalik is just going to control the entire ledger tomorrow? And the, they fork to that. Well, obviously, it's not going to happen, but it just gives you a thought experiment of why would you give a legislative pass to, regardless of a property or a test? 
I've been a big advocate for things like uh, a decentralization index. I've been a big advocate for things like a consumer bill of rights or these types of things because those are philosophical and foundational. And in many cases, you can use them as the basis for enforcement and measurement. So the case of like sufficiently decentralized, well, what does that mean? We have this notion, but it's like the definition of obscenity. So uh, the, the Amish in Pennsylvania are gonna have a very different definition uh, than pride in San Francisco. <laughs> I mean, these are, this is where we're at, and yet it's the same notion, obscenity. So analogously, when you look at decentralization, there's over 10,000 crypto projects. So you know, what's your definition of decentralization? What's mine? What's Vitalik's? We're all going to have different notions. But in the absence of that, you can't make policy. You can't say, well, that's the litmus test for moving from a security to a commodity. You have to provide some more clarity above and beyond that. So I'm hopeful that through the process we can we can get there. On our part, we're setting up a, a lab at University of Edinburgh and writing some papers, and we'll create an index, and we'll be able to actually measure for the first time ever a cryptocurrency and create a number. And more is better. The, the higher the number, the you know the uh, the better, the more decentralized it is. But then you also have to have policy discussions of well, what are the consequences of decentralization? What does it mean? You're not saying it gives you magical properties. What you're saying is that you tend to have less information asymmetries. You tend to have less systemic risk. You tend to have more resilience inside the system, these, these types of things. And uh, that is probably pretty good from a regulatory viewpoint, uh, from an individual viewpoint, meaning you don't go and point to a particular actor and say, you have a lot of responsibilities. On the other hand, commodities still have regulation. Of course. You know, there's the CFTC. Why? Because market manipulation still happens. Exchange manipulation still happens. Cartels still form and so forth. So it doesn't mean you go from some or a lot of regulation to no. It just means you go from one type of regulation to another type of regulation because you're looking at different structures. So this is kind of where we're at. And uh, hopefully the industry can and get, a, get its head out of its own ass and kind of move to a different higher water and have a more philosophical conversation. What rights do people have? What is the definition of decentralization? How do we do algorithmic regulation? What is the merger of value and identity going to look like? And where do we need to do that in the industry? And then once we accomplish these things, then you can write great regulation and move forward. Or the industry can be very tribal and fractional and, and throw hand grenades at each other and everybody's a scammer and everybody I disagree with is wrong and evil. And in which case, what's going to happen is adults are going to show up and they're just basically going to hobble the industry permanently and hand it to a different collection of custodians. And they'll look a lot like the tech companies, the mm -hmm. Google, the Facebook, the Microsoft, and they'll look a lot like the big banks, the Morgan exactly. Stanley's, the Goldman Sachs, you know, the uh, JP Morgan Chase's and so forth. Uh, and what have we then achieved? with these 13 years. Everybody knows that there are advantages to trading on both centralized and decentralized exchanges. But why not choose an exchange like Bullish that offers the best of both worlds? Bullish's total trading volume recently exceeded $25 billion in just seven months since they launched. And they have the best liquidity in the game when it comes to Bitcoin USD. Now, Bullish has released the first major upgrade to its liquidity pool technology with the introduction of a concentrated range-bound liquidity pool for the Bitcoin USD trading pair. This upgrade triples the order book depth within a range of 2%, making it one of the world's deepest Bitcoin USD trading pairs. This industry-leading order depth means you can trade confidently at scale with clearly understood price impact. 
You should check them out immediately at bullish.com slash Melker. There's this level of cognitive dissonance that you basically just described, which is originally we were shorting the bankers long Bitcoin, yeah. right? That was the ethos. We wanted nothing to do with the government. But now everybody cheers institutional adoption and government getting involved because maybe it makes the number go up uh, when institutions buy more, yeah. of our, more of our coins. But it really is counter to the original ethos. I'm not pretending we can't live in a, that we're going to live in a world without regulation. Yeah. It's coming. But as you said, the only way for that to happen properly is for everybody to come together and craft a framework before they get the chance to do it themselves. Yeah, and we can't even do it on the policy. You got the Blockchain Association, the Digital Chamber of Commerce, you got Coin Center. There's like 26 of these guys and tons of PACs. And some PACs are connected to a particular founder's lifestyle desires and others are connected to a single issue and so forth. We went to DC and we were expecting, oh, okay, well, who are like the three guys that we need to talk to? And that, these are the people getting it all done or three gals. And instead it was just very fragmented. and. Everybody has an agenda and uh, some are, are very pro. Well, let's make everybody look like a bank and other ones are very anarchistic and like there's no regulation at all, just ignore it. Uh, others are, well, some regulation's okay, but as long as it, it adheres to our particular cryptocurrency, we're, we're fine. Uh, you know, and so that's just sad. But you know, it's, it's in the vacuum of leadership, leaders can form. And so the challenge for us in the next 12 months to 24 months is to set the differences aside and move on and, and get to higher water. And I think we can. I, I think I people are very tired. Bear markets are much easier to collaborate in than bull markets. You know, bull markets, everybody's on a land grab, everybody's poaching each other's people. Uh, in bear markets, uh, you don't have to have those same optics. And you can just say, okay, let's go build. You know, let's go collaborate. Let's go talk to each other. So now that we're entering into a bear market, it's, it's the right time. And we can have some real conversations about systemic risk, macro and microprudential policy, sanctions, compliance. We can have real conversations about a litany of things. And to be frank, some things need to be compromises, not just on our side, but also on the government side. The United States can't keep living as if the world ends and begins at its borders. The United States can't keep living with this perspective that it can regulate everybody, everywhere, every time, and has absolute say in the movement of all value. Uh, if people touch a dollar. It, it's just untenable. Maybe 35 years ago, this, this was fine, but we've moved beyond that as a world. We're multipolar. There's regulatory arbitrage. There's uh, Singapore and, and all these other jurisdictions. And if the U.S. Is, is not wise in what it does, it won't shut crypto down. It'll just simply offshore the entire industry. And we're talking about jobs. Solidity developers making half a million dollars a year. We're talking about trillions of dollars of economic growth and value, and that entire industry will leave the U.S. if they're too harsh about this. So certain compromises have to be made. You can't have 26 regulatory agencies. You can't have millions of pages of things. You can't have an expectation of hire a super expensive law firm and spend a quarter million dollars, and then your answer is maybe, and, and let's hope you don't get regulated. I mean, you can't have that. When I was in Switzerland and we did the Ethereum ICO, we went to the government of Zug, talked to them for a few weeks, and they gave us a tax ruling. And then that was absolute clarity. And it was a very fun process. There was back and forth. Some of it was done in bars. I mean, it's just like, wow, I love working with these regulators. They're great. It wasn't like there was no regulation. I mean, FINMA is there. The tax authorities are there. But you can ask them. You can engage with them. You can talk with them, negotiate with them. And what was nice about the negotiations was that I really felt that they were fighting for Switzerland. They said, 
tell us what's good for Switzerland here. Who are you hiring? Where's the money coming in? What, you know, what are you creating here in Switzerland? What industry are you creating? So I felt like they were fighting for their country. Me as a guy coming, and I had to really make the case that this was going to create an industry for them, which it did. It created Crypto Valley, and now there's more than 40, 50 foundations and ventures that are there, billions of dollars of value in Switzerland. So they took a chance on us. But I'll never forget when they signed the tax ruling, the mayor of Zouk said, welcome to Switzerland. Don't make it our problem. You know? And that just, just shows you their mentality. You know? And so I said, why can't the U.S. regulator be like that? The first person the entrepreneur talks to is some sort of uh, financial innovation group within a regulatory agency and says, well, this is what I'm thinking about doing. And they act as kind of a back and forth sounding board and you, you work together uh, and then eventually you come to a pretty good plan and then you bring a lawyer in at that stage. And they said, well, this is what we want. And the lawyer can write it all up and take care of these things. Instead, it's go hire a lawyer, mind read the agency, try to figure all this stuff out. And then after you've, you've mind read them and figured it out, Let's just hope you got it right, because if you got it wrong, you have catastrophic consequences. And we won't give you any clarity. You can't ask, you don't and get And they might litigate without, or threaten litigation without yeah. even telling you why. Like in the case of Coinbase going and saying, hey, we'd like to yeah. offer a yield product. Yeah. No, no explanation why not, just we're going to sue you if you do that. Yeah, exactly. And also people are afraid to talk, because if you talk to them, what happens if they sue you? Yeah. You know, so, so it's, it's like, it's a bizarre reality. It's counter to everything that should be done for an innovative culture. So I say compromises need to be made on both sides. You know, on, on our side as an industry, you cannot have the unrestricted flow of trillions of dollars of value in a global economy when there are dangerous people and dangerous activities that go on. Yes, dictators exist. Yes, criminals exist. Um, yes, scammers exist. Scams happen. Problems happen. Conduct happens. There are Bernie Madoffs. There are BitConnects. These things occur. To say that all regulation is completely unnecessary and wrong is, is just such a bizarre way of thinking. Uh, there's got to be a middle ground where we say, okay, let's agree on principles, consumer protection, uh, consumer bill of rights, and let's agree on definitions, like what is decentralization and these types of things. Then let's innovate. The meeting in the middle is that you can have algorithmic regulation. So for example, settlement can be compliance. What if you lived in a world where you ran an exchange where if you actually get the money in your account, it means you're in full compliance. You can bake that into the transaction itself. That's amazing. I mean, I run a company in 60 countries. If we do crypto payroll and we do one transaction and send it to everybody at the end of the month, I've just created a transaction under the jurisdiction of more than 60 countries. Which law do I follow? Who's in charge? What if there's contradicting laws? You have the Schrodinger's cat transaction mm -hmm. where it's both legal and illegal at the same time. It's a bizarre thing. So algorithmic regulation kind of gets you out there. You, know, you, you can bake into the transaction itself all kinds of protections and principles and disclosures and it's maybe private globally but uh, confidentiality is breached with certain escrow keys there's all kinds of things to do but here's the radicalization of the space you say these things and then there's this immediate visceral reaction that certain people have they say oh then what you're saying is you want the government to be completely in control it's like that's not what we've said at all i said how about we be in control let's lead Let's write the code, let's write the standards, let's write the laws, let's lead. Oh, but we can't because we don't want to work with that guy over there because that guy's proof of stake and this guy's proof of work and our, our tribe is proof of work and we can't talk to proof of stake people. That's, that's so absurd, you know? And the consequences of, of not collaborating is somebody has to write the laws, somebody has to lead. And if it's not our industry, it's gonna be the bureaucrats and they've never done anything right. I mean, we have a baby food shortage for God's sakes. 
You know, this, the, 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 the one thing I've learned in life is if you want to create a shortage or screw up a market, put the government in control. Of course. You know, and that's where we're at. And so uh, we have an opportunity, as I said, 12 to 24 months. There's the Biden executive order, there's the Lummis Gillibrand bill, there's a lot of transnational discussions at IMF and BIS and FAT uh, uh, and so forth. And if we as an industry come together and we agree on some basic principles, they can get done. And if we as an industry come together, we build some foundational technology, we can have a renaissance where you have an ability as a small business to comply. It's very easy to do that. You have consumer protections and ultimately, uh, we can get to the business of changing the world and making things better. So I guess the final question then is how do we actually do that, right? I think we all agree that we need to come together and do, the, do it. Um, we obviously have Sam Bankman-Fried clearly out there uh, talking to legislators and regulators yeah. on, on a very uh, regular basis, but how do we get everyone to come together? It's great to talk about it, but how do we actually make that happen when we know that it's extremely tribal and divided now? I think you start on some basic principles that don't economically value one person over another. So we really do need a, a, a definition of decentralization. That should be something, regardless if you're Ethereum or Bitcoin or otherwise, you, you have the conversation. And so from our part, we'll create objective, um, neutral, uh, academic labs that kind of act as an aggregation point and try to encourage as many blockchain projects as possible to collaborate with those labs. Um, so that's one. Standards are another component. Um, so for example, smart contract standards for the verification of smart contracts and these things, $10.5 billion of hacks last year. Maybe we should do a better job at securing smart contracts and protocol design and so forth. Again, that gets people talking to each other. And what's good for us is good for them. It's good for everybody inside the industry. So that basic trust and those basic relationships, I think are really gonna help. Uh, then you also need to have an agreement that there are problems in the industry, you know, and we have to be intellectually honest about those problems. Just yesterday, I saw a letter that 1,500 scientists signed that they sent to the, the Congress saying, just because it's innovative doesn't mean you shouldn't regulate it. 1,500, that's not a small group of scientists sending an open letter to Congress. So you see these types of things and you say to yourself, okay, we have to be intellectually honest about that. And then as an industry, we have to hold to higher standards. And uh, hopefully here at Consensus, hopefully at a lot of trade events, people would be willing to come and collaborate, cooperate, and talk. The other thing is we have to, we have to be better at, at, at who we consume from and, and who we lift up. If there are leaders in this space that all they do is they say, every single person who disagrees with me is, a, is, is evil and a criminal and you should never talk to them, why do we keep inviting these people to all these conferences and these things? I don't say you deplatform de them, just why are we listening to them though? Why do they have status? Why, why do they have influence inside the space? Uh, I think more people care about certain books that are written and documentaries that are made or other things than they actually care about the technology and what it does. We should focus much more on the use and utility and much more on the people that the technology helps. Every day we wake up, we talk about concepts like RealFi in Africa. Uh, and we say, okay, there are three billion people that don't have bank accounts or not reliable access to them. There are three billion people who pay usurious interest rates. They can't get insurance. If people send money to them, 15% disappears right off the top for the remittance. Let's talk about how do we help those people. Let's talk about the products that are helping those people. Instead of complaining about things, lift people up, build things and so forth. And then that gets people into a solutions mindset. 
And then it's not less of a question of how do you collaborate with people, it's who wants to help me with this solution? Who wants to work with me on this solution? There's a lot of good people in the space that do amazing work. Um, BitPesa is an example of a venture and she's been working for almost 10 years on it. Really hard work going throughout Kenya and other jurisdictions and uh, had to deal with a lot. And hundreds of companies like that where there's honest great people and there's a lot of great technologists in this space. The Starkware people are great and they're doing very interesting work. Zcash just did an amazing update that uh, was uh, years in the making. There's standardization groups for SNARKs. Um, there's tons of consensus research that's happening across the board. And, you know, I like what Sylvia does at Algorand. You know, we may disagree on certain things, but that's okay. You know, and so I, I think that's how you get people into a more collaborative mindset is anytime you're in an interview, say, don't focus on the top three you hate, focus on the top three things you like and the top three things you'd like to do and you'd like to accomplish. And then you're bringing people up, you're bringing people together and so forth. Um, some people will never do that and subscribe to it, but that's okay. You know, just stop listening to them. It's like the Simpsons, uh, just don't look, <laughs> just don't look, you know? I love that perfect way to end it. I think we all have the same end goal in mind, so it would be nice if everybody would just, uh, even if they disagree on the path, like you said, sort of agree that we're all uh, looking to get to the same place and come, come together and make that happen. But uh, I could listen to you for hours, but unfortunately we, we both have to continue. So thank you. Thank you so thank much. Thank you very much. Cheers. I really appreciate it.